0: Well, as I said before, today we are celebrating All Saints Day. But what really is a saint? When we think about what saints are, you know, different things might come to our mind, uh, probably depending on our background. I mean, the first thing that we probably all think of is dead people. Um, saints are, uh, it depends on, on your background. But, you know, those of us who uh, grew up, maybe you grew up with a Catholic background might Recognize from the uh, the sanctoral calendar, meaning that um, every every day, almost every day, celebrates the life of a long deceased saint. So we might justifiably think that saints just mean uh, dead people. But in the New Testament, saint we 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 actually see saint being used in a very different way, Uh, meaning people who are following Christ who are very much alive. So let's, it, you actually often see this word saint at the beginning of Paul's letters, when he's really just greeting the people that he's writing to. In Romans, uh, for instance, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. In 2 Corinthians, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints. Um, Ephesians 1.1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Colossians, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So it really is that word saint is just being used in probably the same way today that we would use the word Christian. But it has a much, much deeper meaning than even that. See, Christians, we might, that that word we might think of, uh, people might call Christians who are outside of the church, calling Jesus followers Christians, you know, it's, it's a good word to describe people who are following Jesus. But we might call saints what people inside the church are calling each other. Saint just means holy one or one who is holy. Being a saint uh, is not just something you identify as. A saint is something you are, something you live out so the question here is how, if we're celebrating All Saints Day, you know, then how do people become saints? Are saints kind of like, and another question, are saints kind of like a, a special class of Christians who are like, maybe like really, really into this stuff? You know, everybody's a Christian, but some people are so into it that they become saints. But you know, some of us, that's not really our thing. Um, What... Uh, what, is exactly, what does it mean to become saints? Who is being called to become saints? And how does that happen? Well, um, our first Thessalonian passage it really tells us the whole story. Um, and the story is basically this, that saints are not born. Saints are made. And how saints are made is gonna be the subject of our talk this morning. How do we become saints? Paul tells us 1 Thessalonians 4, verse three here. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, et cetera, et cetera. So here we have this word that I want to focus on. And I really want to spend the whole sermon talking about this whole idea of sanctification. We see this pop up also in the New Testament quite often. If saint means holy one, then, how do we become a saint? Sanctification just means being made holy. That's what sanctification means. We might, uh, you know, in English, we might call it sanctification. How does someone become a saint? Well, sanctification, the process by which one becomes a saint. Maybe that doesn't tell us very much right now, but let's get into it. And notice also that it is the will of God. That his people not only be called by Jesus, but they, they become sanctified, to be holy like Jesus. But what is, exactly does it look like to be made holy, and how do we become holy? So first of all, that ought to answer our second question. Who is called to be a saint? Everyone who claims the name of Jesus Christ is called to be a saint. And then I might actually, you know, get up in the morning and, uh, at my intro and very justly call, Welcome, saints. Welcome those of us called to be saints. Welcome those who are being sanctified. Um, See, I want to focus on this because really often we're used to talking about salvation in Jesus Christ in terms of another term that we're going to be talking about at another time called justification. You ever heard that? Justification. We'll be getting around to that by the time we do a sermon series on the book of Romans, uh, which will be really exciting justification. How is it that our sins are forgiven through the blood of of Jesus Christ? How does that forgive our sins? But the scriptures talk about both justification and sanctification. And the overwhelming impression you get reading the New Testament is that both of these are essential components for salvation. So justification, sanctification, you put those things together and you get salvation. Now, depending upon what tradition we might be coming from, we might put those things together in different ways, but the two are always linked together. They're never alone. We don't get saved unless we're justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we don't get saved unless we are sanctified in the blood of Jesus Christ. You notice in our Revelation passage, that verse that says that the it talks about all the saints in light, and their robes are white and clean, right? That that represents their holiness of their life and character, but they've been sanctified in the blood of Jesus Christ, right? So let's talk about holiness, right? So I talked about how sanctification means becoming holy, but what does holiness actually mean? That's, we, if we're going to define one term, we got to define another one. Holiness is a pretty easy one as well, because it just means godlikeness. It means being like God. So how does Paul tell us what does Paul say about what, what it is that God is like? What is God likeness actually like? Let's look at verses four through seven. He says that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. So what does this godliness really look like in real life? Well, Paul tells us that holiness looks like self-control, self-control of our bodies, not giving up in to the lusts of the flesh. Lust just means uh, a kind of desire. now we're full of desires. We want things. that's what it means to be a human being, so want things, but a lust isn't the same thing as a desire. A lust is just a desire that is out of control, one that you want so much that you'll go after it at all costs, even if the consequence of going after it is wrong or if it's destructive. That's what a, a lust. Need, that's what a, a lust means. See, God-likeness turns out is not, there's no lust, there's no inordinate desire in God. And we might think, yeah, well, duh, that's obvious. But actually, gods back then were kind of known for being pretty pretty lusty, honestly. I mean, if you think about like Greek mythology, you know, you think about Zeus, you know, think all the way back to 10th grade or whatever. Think about Zeus and how he's always like uh, jealous of other gods, you know, and he's always going after human women and turning into swans and whatever. If this is brand new to you, then that's fine. You can go back and read it if you want. But <laughs> I, I personally think the Bible's the good stuff. But, or think of, you know, Pan, you know, that God with the goat legs, you know, and he's always, he's just the God of lusts. He's always like guzzling wine and he's always like, you know, uh, just being really lewd and everything like that. But Yahweh our God, it turns out, is totally different. If we look at Psalm chapter 50, uh, verses 13 and 14, uh, God actually addresses this false conception. He says, do I eat the flesh of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? He's offered offered to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. What he's saying is, yeah, you know, I call my people to sacrifice to me, in um, and, and these specific ways, but don't go thinking that's because I actually need any of this from you. It's because I have it's not because I have this lust for you know for food or any or or, or, or any of things anything like this. Our God is different. He's not into that stuff. Because it turns out that all that was just us projecting ourselves and our own lusts and desires onto God. Look in verse twenty one in Psalm fifty. He says this, he charges us with this. He said, You thought that I was one just like yourself, didn't you? But it turns out that holiness, godlikeness, actually means freedom from selfish desire. Freedom from lust. You might actually call it mastery over those desires. Um, see. This doesn't mean that even in sanctification, that people are not going, in the midst of sanctification, that we're not going to feel those desires. But the point is that in in holiness means we're not going to let those desires get so out of hand that they become lusts, mastery over our desires. Psalm uh, 23, again, um, the one who orders his way rightly, I will show The salvation of God. Because it turns out that our desires, the things that we feel inside of us, these lusts, whether it's sexual lusts or it's like inordinate desire for food or for alcohol or for or for drugs, whatever it is, those things are actually the things that are enslaving us. It becomes very obvious when we start when we if if we've gone through addiction or if we've known someone who's gone through addiction, that's when it becomes really obvious. But it starts a lot, a lot earlier because our world really likes to tell us a lie. And that lie is that we think that the license to pursue our own internal desires, that that equals freedom, right? But actually, it turns out that it's complete enslavement. Think of your desires as kind of like chains that are pulling you in one direction or another. Because once you want something in that in that inordinate way, in that lustful way, you're going to go after it no matter what, no matter how destructive the consequences are. And you might ask yourself, who's really in the driver's seat of your life? Is it you? Is it it what you know to be true? Or is it what your body desires and pulls you along to go and get? Who's really in the driver's seat of a life like that? Like I say, you know, addiction is when it becomes obvious, but the Lord tells us, oh, it starts much earlier than that. Much, much earlier than that. Lusting after sex and variety in sex destroys marriages. Lusting after drink destroys livers, literally. Lusting after success and money destroys relationships, it destroys love of the poor. Paul tells us that it's God's desire, that the will of God. Is that we abstain from these lusts. And he's gonna especially name sexual immorality here. Um, this is freedom to be master of our desires re- rather than letting our desires master us. That's God's will. It's not his will that we have no fun, but it's his will that we actually be free from sinful passions. God actually desires what's good for us, that's what he wants. And sanctification in this way, this God likeness, is not an option. See, Paul tells us that it's God's will for us that we be made saints. We can't be disregarding God's will for our lives. See, look at verse eight here. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. See, disregarding this you know, need to contain and, and not let our desires run free. It's not, we're used to, uh, the world tells us another lie and that all that is is just human arbitrary rules repressing kind of what's really desiring to get out and get free in you, right? Right, I think, you know, we had that Freud guy kind of get that started. And then everything is just kind of repression, repression, right? And it's really, but it's all it is is just human rules, human laws set down by people, Right. Paul tells us, no, no, disregarding this means disregarding not man, but God. So, I mean, up to this point, we, I'm, I'm kind of been giving you some bad news, I got to say, uh, because uh, we all, I think, could probably agree that none of us, when it comes to holiness, when it comes to Godlikeness, you know, we are not born this way. We are not born this way. Um, it doesn't come natural to us to be like God. It's kind of like some things that you go after, maybe sports as a young person, and uh, it's like having not having that that innate skill that just means that, yeah, one day you're going to be a great basketball player or whatever. I remember actually there was one time in high school. I was not, it might shock you guys to know, but I wasn't <laughs> much of an athlete in high school. Um, I don't have this kind of golden championship past I can look back on, but I kind of, there were times when I just got, I went to a school where sports were kind of everything. And there were times when I got kind of fed up of just not being a part of that. And I think I remember one time, like for 10 minutes when I was like 16, maybe a junior or so thinking I should really go out for the basketball team. And I remember like one of my buddies who's, who's big into the basketball, kind of like putting his arm around me and being like, look, I really don't think you should. it's fine. I get it. But you just, you know, you don't, you just don't have it in. You You don't have that inborn skill. I could have worked really, really hard, but I just, something wouldn't have been there. That instinct, maybe those, maybe the height. I don't know. Maybe it's that. The point is, it's something you can't do anything about. Some things can't be taught. Some things have to be inborn, right? And if you're born without it, well, tough luck. Maybe you can go be a pastor. <laughs> See, the prophets were the ones that identified this problem. Remember that people of Israel were given the law from on high, and you think that maybe that's all people need to know in order to be godlike. Just do this stuff, and you'll be godlike, right? That was the whole point. But there's this problem that people kept breaking it. Not only did people keep breaking it, but people, kings, kept throwing it away, like not even paying attention to it. And it kind of kept having to come back and come back and come back because people were just, the kings were were done with it. The people were uh, worshiping other gods. And the prophets understood that the root problem of evil was not really that people had this law and they failed to do it. It's that they didn't really want to do it in the first place. They didn't have it in them. They just weren't born with this stuff, you know? That's just, not how they, that's just not how it was. These desires, these chains are inside of us, born with them, and we can't get them out. So what do we do? How do we become sanctified in such a state? Remember, though, the good news here, I started with it, that saints are not born. Saints are made. Who are they made by? How do we become saints? How does that sanctification really happen? Well, it all comes down to this last part of verse 8. Remember, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. It turns out that if you read the Bible, you will look in vain for examples of people sanctifying themselves. It doesn't really happen. But let's see what Jesus, our Lord himself, says about sanctification In John 17, 17, he says, Lord, he's praying to the father and he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is asking the father, the father to sanctify his people, to sanctify his people, to make his people saints. How's he going to do that? Well, Jesus is asking him to fulfill a promise. And that promise is all the way back in the prophets in Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel prophesies this moment. Um, he pro- this is the Lord speaking through Ezekiel saying, one day I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you, within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, this is what it means to be born again. You're not born with it, but thanks be to God, we are born again. Born in this Holy Spirit. God's word to Ezekiel is talking about this. Here's how the problem's going to be solved it's by the Spirit of God actually entering into his people and causing them to obey him. Saints are not born, they are made by the Holy Spirit who works actively in our lives. Prayer, what we do here on Sundays, it invites the Spirit in, makes us open to him to work on us and work in us. He molds us and he shapes us after, or, uh, over the course of our lives. And this doesn't always look like dramatic. Now this is a, you know, we're all being sanctified if we're believers in Jesus, but it always, doesn't always look dramatic. Let's look at verses nine through 12. this sounds kind of just like ordinary life. It sounds like ordinary life, going to school, going to our jobs, having families. This except is added one key ingredient, and that ingredient is at the beginning of verse nine, love, brotherly love. See, sanctification very often, it's not always this, sometimes it is, but it's not always this call to get up and, and move across the world to be a missionary or to, um, to, to sell absolutely everything we have to the poor. Sometimes God calls us to those things, but a lot of the time it just kind of looks like ordinary life, except with the key ingredient of love. Because we cannot justify ourselves, we cannot sanctify ourselves before God, by this just kind of completing a checklist or a laundry list of good works. Paul tells us this too in another letter in 1 Corinthians. He says, You know, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. See, there's only one source of that true love that he's talking about, and that's Christ himself. That love is delivered from Christ himself by his Holy Spirit, implanted into our lives, into our hearts. He's removed that heart of stone in us, and he's put in us a heart of flesh. I'll tell you a true story about a saint. Christian family church going, two sons. And one day a 17 or so year old boy shows up on their doorstep and says to the father, I'm your son and I've got nowhere to go. Turns out all the way back in high school, he'd been with his girlfriend and she'd had a son and never told him about it. He was just as surprised as anyone. Now, what do you think the mother of that family did with that boy? She embraced him, took him into their home, raised him, joyfully and genuinely as their own. No anger, no resentment, only love. That's a saint. That's what it means to be sanctified. I wonder how many ordinary, you know, day-by-day saints nobody knows or, or, or even remembers here on earth, and we'll never know who they are until we're together again with the Lord in glory. Sometimes it's just that we're living out our ordinary lives before the Lord. And all of a sudden, we're confronted with something that was never, ever in our plan. Not in my plan, not in my will for my life, but it was in God's will. And it may not happen every day. And almost always, it's not something that's very comfortable. But these are these defining moments in in our sanctifying life that God uses to shape us into saints. Because saints, they're not born, they're made. They're made through trial and struggle, but always every moment with the loving presence of the Spirit of Christ to accompany us, to inspire us, and to implant that true godly love into our hearts. So let's pray that the Lord continue to sanctify us in his love and make us saints. That We would join that, that, that great throng we hear about of the saints in light in the book of Revelation. We, we could also, you know, we could summarize sanctification Sanctification is being free from desire and full of love. God alone can free us. God alone can fill us. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that um, pray for Redemption Church, Lord. That even as as all of the brotherly love and love between sisters that we know and experience here, Lord, that you would encourage us to um, to do this more and more, Father. Help us to follow that way of love that you set out for us um, in the example of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to call on the real and supernatural source of that love, and that's you through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you would feed us with that love this morning at your table. Lord, make us constant to walk in that love throughout our weeks as we return to your holy word. Um, And Lord, we just pray that you would increase the love of the church here in Frisco more and more. In Jesus' name. Amen.